we are in a series called Instigating a Miracle. Everybody shout miracles. miracles. Here's what I know about you. You at some point in your life are going to need a miracle. How many of you have already experienced something crazy like that? Something out of the norm, something kind of miraculous, something kind of wild? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many of you would like to experience something wild? How many of you want a weird story to tell your friends? Yeah, absolutely. Everybody wants something unique, something extraordinary. The word miracle comes from a Latin word meaning miraculum, meaning something extraordinary. And so here's what I know, though. At some point in all of our lives, we need God to kind of show up out of nowhere, to show up big, to show up huge, to rescue, to save, to deliver, to do something amazing. And, and we all are going to need that. Now, here's what we know, too. I don't want you living off of those. I don't need you ordering up a daily miracle. I want you living by faith. I want you living by wisdom. I want you living by the, the commands of God. But in those moments where you need a miracle, the, the whole point of this series is this, is I want you to teach you and to show you and put you into a place where when you need a miracle, you're going to be able to hopefully do everything within your ability to pull that off or to instigate that thing. Because here's what we discovered. As we looked at the scriptures, and as we looked at every miracle that Jesus ever performed, what we found was is that most of them, everybody say most, most of them had a human element. Most of them, it wasn't where Jesus just showed up and was like, bam, bam, and I'm just, you know, like a comic book hero. It wasn't like that. That literally sometimes Jesus wasn't even paying attention, and someone took a miracle from him. That one time, Jesus, he was, he was asked to do something amazing, and he said no. And then she so finagled him that he said, okay, and changed his mind. I mean, there's some amazing stories. And so if you haven't been here, I encourage you to go get the CDs because here, here's what you, I want you to be able to do. I want you to be able to, when the time comes and the crisis hits, I want you to be able to, okay, okay what, what did Pastor Toss say to do? And go get those CDs. I want you to be able to go back into your sermon notes. I want you to remember this series because while you may not need a miracle today, there's a good chance you're going to need one down the road. And here's what we've seen. We've seen some principles like audacious faith, like just pushy, persistent, audacious, radical faith. That, that is one of the main ingredients. And how many know that one's a tough one? Because many times we don't feel like we're very much full of faith, especially in the midst of the crisis when the crisis is. How many of you have ever recognized people like that? When the crisis hits, some people are like, man, as cool as the other side of the pillow. And then other people, the panic, the tragic, or the tragedy hits, and they're like a squirrel caught in traffic. And they have a, a jitterness to it. They just, I don't know what to do. I want you to be as cool as the other side of the pillow. Because I want you to know that even when I don't have everything together, I know what to do to give myself the best possible chance to put myself in the best position that God could do a miracle. We talked about faith, we talked about atmosphere, and today we will kind of move forward and begin to talk about a new idea. Last week we talked about order, and that's a very practical one. While you can't measure faith, or it's difficult to measure faith, it is very easy to measure order. Today is one of the more practical ones. It comes from a story that, that you just saw a second ago, but I want to read it in its entirety. If you have your Bible, go to Luke chapter 7, and I'm going to teach you a principle that, again, I didn't catch in the beginning, I didn't think would be a big deal, but after reading it, studying it, seeing the pattern of it, I find that it's huge, and I think it'll be huge for us, but it won't be easy. Are you ready? Luke chapter 7. The Bible says that when Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, meaning he was out giving a teaching, that he entered a city called Capernaum. There, a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. That's the tragedy. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him. Now, a centurion is a Roman Gentile soldier and officer. 
Following with me? So you got this guy. He's not a Jew. He's a, he's a Gentile. He's a Roman, and he's an officer of the, of the army. So this is what he does. He sends elders of the Jews to Jesus, asking that he might come and heal the servant. And when Jesus, when they came to him, they pleaded with him. They said, this man deserves that you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with him. Now, this isn't the main point, but I, I just feel like it's necessary to say it. Let me give you the cultural background. So you had Jews, and everybody that wasn't a Jew was a Gentile. Jews had a covenant with God. Everybody else was kind of like an outsider looking in. But they had a group of people that they called the God-fearers. And in essence, what it was is, is that if you were a Gentile that recognized the God of Israel and still lived according to the basic uh, guidelines and the basic commands, not all the, all the little tiny ones and not all of the ones when it came to sacrifices and the temple stuff and all that stuff, but in essence, what they called the Noahide laws, basically you don't murder, you don't steal, you don't do the, some of the basic ones, almost like the Ten Commandment ones. If you do that, we're good with you. And this guy was such a good guy. Listen to what the elders said. The elders said that this guy loves our nation and he's even built our church. A synagogue is a Jewish church, a Jewish place of worship. And so they said, hey, this, you, you, if you can do anything for us, you need to help this guy out. He loves Israel. And he even built our church for us. That's how amazing this guy is. So just recognize this, this quick little nuggety thought. And I can prove this through other scriptures. Is that generosity does capture the attention of God. There's something about it. And I'm not talking about the amount of money that you give. I'm talking about the condition of your heart. I'm talking about when you see need, do you respond? When you have opportunity, do you go for it? And when you see it, can you, can you extend grace and generosity towards other people in need? And this guy had it, and the Bible says that Jesus responded to the request. So listen, so the Bible says Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him saying, Lord, don't even trouble yourself because I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. It's honor. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. Now this is the centurion speaking, not Jesus. The centurion said, just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For, next scripture, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I say that one, come here. And he comes, and I say to my servant, do this, and he's on it. Verse number nine, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith like this in, in all of Israel. And then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. It's a crazy story. What's amazing is too, and I just noticed this too, is that remember the centurion said, Jesus, if you'll just say the word, I know he'll be healed. Do you know that Jesus never even said the word? The Bible just said he turned to the crowd and said, man, this guy's amazing. And then he laughed. Jesus never speaks a word. He, he just, I think he had a thought. Jesus didn't even say the word. He just had a thought, and boom, he was healed. And so the Bible says never said a word. He, he didn't say anything to the guy other than that's amazing. And then the guy returns, and his, his servant is what? Is healed. This incredible miracle takes place, and I'm going to talk to you about the principle that's in play here. Here's the principle. There's some things like generosity. There's some things like reverence and atmosphere. There's, there's some little ones like that, but there's a huge principle that Jesus points out. He doesn't point out anything else, but he points out one thing. He says, man, I've never seen a guy like, like has faith like this, and what he was connecting it to was the words of the centurion soldier that said this. Just say the word, Jesus, because I get it. 
I can see what's going on here. I've got, I, I know how this works. See, I'm a man under, everybody say authority. I have soldiers underneath my, everybody say authority. I say to that when he goes, I say that would come, I say get out to work on that, and they just got to get to work on it. And I want you to know that I recognize that you're in authority. That you're in authority, you're underneath somebody, very, very powerful, God, and that you've got everything underneath your authority. So you don't got to show up. Apparently, you don't even have to say the word, you can just think, just do a thought or a whatever. That was like, I dream of genie, wasn't it? <laughs> is it an arm? I don't know what that is. Oh, is it, okay. I, I'm too young. Sorry. So, so here's, here's what I know. Here's what I know. Is that what Jesus connects this man's incredible faith to is his understanding of what? Authority. Now, I don't know that I like this. I don't know that I'm really excited about this idea right now. And, and, but here's what I know, is that this man understands authority. This guy is a centurion soldier and officer in the Roman Empire. And what you need to know about Rome is Rome had an incredible understanding of authority. That's why the empire was so big, so huge, and lasted so long. They understood authority. They recognized that when the centurion spoke, he was speaking on behalf of Caesar. And if it was coming from Caesar, I had to do it no matter what. This is just the way they operated. They would literally send men to their death they would just say hey i want you to go that way and they just knew they were going to die and you know what they did they obeyed it didn't matter they understood that caesar had spoke when the centurion had spoken it was the exact same thing no matter what and this is and they trained this into their people they trained this especially into their soldiers and, and this is why for instance if you were in a part of the roman army and you were to maybe be in battle and to be kind of cowardice in battle they just trained that right out of you because they would always make an example and it, basically they would take your entire troop battalion, they would pull one person at random, throw them in the middle and have everybody else beat that man to death. I mean, just crazy, insane levels of authority that when they said go, you went. When they said jump, you said, you better believe it. It was just radical understanding of authority. And so this centurion, who's also a God-fearer, Again, generous, building churches, loving the nation of Israel, which was very unlike the Romans. The Romans were typically cruel and hated the Jews, and the Jews, in response, hated the Romans, right? And see, you see this guy that all of a sudden, he's just kind of broken the mold and said, hey, look, I don't know what it is, but I recognize their God. I'm good to them. I'm friendly. I'm generous. I'm going to help them build their church. Something very unique about this guy, and he breaks the mold, and he shows up to Jesus with this request of healing his, basically his friend and servant. And he says, I get it. You're a man of authority, because I, I, I am. I'm under Caesar, and I obey authority. And I got people under me, and they obey, obey authority. And I just get that you are in charge of the situation. And again, what I discover is, is that when I think about authority, I don't feel as strongly as the centurion does about it. Do you? Like when my government says go, I like to say Why? Like when my, when my boss or my authority or in any situation says do this, I want to say, well, I don't think I should. I don't think I should have to. I have rights. That he, here's, what I, here's what I know about me. I have authority issues. Not the good ones. I have the, the bad ones. And I think part of it might be my DNA and my personality and maybe my father. I, I'll just blame him for this. Um, I'm going to... 
you know, but I, I think part of it is too, I, I've, I've seemed to like have been in, in, in leadership positions since I was 17 years old. So I'm just kind of used to being in charge and I kind of like being in charge. I, I appreciate that position. And, and, and in life, I've had these glaring moments where it dawns on me that I have authority issues. I have authority issues. I, I had this one time, I was a youth pastor. This is years ago, I was a youth pastor and I took my kids to go paintballing, which I love because I love shooting people. And um, in nonviolent ways, but you know, I like just, you know, if you got a 13-year-old, you just, it's fun. Um, inflicting a little bit of pain and get back, because they were talking during your sermon and annoyed you, and you want to get them back. So anyway, um, and I'm out on the paintball field, right? And, and, and people are in charge of the paintball field, and they have rules, and they have people that own and lead this thing and organize this thing. And there's this one rule about paintball. How many of you have ever been paintballing before? It's a wonderful experience. Yeah, there's one rule about your mask. What's the rule about the mask? Never take your mask off. You'll shoot your eye out. And so, and they want to protect you. It's a good rule because they want to protect you from getting your eye shot out. Well, anyway, they gave me one of those, because, you know, I'm not like a true paintballer, so, like, I'm not one of those guys that, like, has all their gear, you know, owns all their gear, comes out, sets it out like they're, you know, Rambo Jr. and ready to go. I'm not like that. I'm a guy that shows up and just rents the cheapest gun they got and hope I don't die too quickly. So, so anyway, I got a cheap mask on, and what happens with the mask is it fogs up. And so I got foggy mask, and I think, well, I got to wipe. So I take it off to wipe the mask out, and shh, I get whistled. And they're like, hey, we said no, and they, like, yelled at me. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you know who you're talking to right now? I got a paint gun in my hand, I'll bust a cap. Anyway, so I just am cool about it. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And I just, you know, I put it back on. And so later, sure enough, what happens? Fogs up again. And so this time, I'm, I'm like, I look around first, you know. I'm like, any of those little nerdy referees running around? Okay, good. And I go, and I don't even try to take it all the way off. I just take it to where I can wipe it. And sure enough, he was like, he was like a ninja referee. And, and he caught me and he was hiding, and he whistled me again. He goes, that's it, you're out of here. Oh, heck no, man. I done rolled in here with a group of teenagers. I done thrown down all this money. You don't, you clearly don't know who I am. And I remember getting so mad. I remember, and, and it took everything within me not to say something or just, <sighs> it's all coming back. It's and it, and it dawned on me, wow, I really have authority issues. Because my kids have authority issues, too. I don't know if you've ever seen this, like two-year-olds. You ever try to put an angry two-year-old in the car seat? Yeah, yeah, Eric, you, you, like, no. And they're like, and I'm like, that's what I do. My God, that's me. Paintball guy. I'm just a grown-up. I'm still trying to buck authority. And I've got authority issues. I don't always like having people over me telling me what to do and all that good stuff. And I recognize, you know, rebelliousness is an issue, and it's an issue in you too. I know you might not be as bad as mine, but I mean, we're, we're at least in the same playing field here. And, and, and we have authority issues. And when I look at Scripture, I find that authority issues, they're kind of a big deal. The way that God speaks of them, the way that they appear, the way that, that judgment comes in response to rebellion. Rebellion's not a good idea. It's not a good way to go. And when you look, go back to before really human time began, you'll find in Isaiah chapter 14, most scholars believe is a, is a parallel story to that which happened to Satan in, in heaven. And the Bible describes him being kind of a, an angel in heaven. And you know what got him kicked out of heaven? 
rebelliousness. He didn't like that God was in charge. And there's this whole statement he makes. There's this whole kind of, uh, you know, this thing. He just goes on a rant. And he goes, well, I want to do this, and I want to do that, and I'm going to be this, and I'm going to be that. And God said, no, you're not. Shut up. And, and so he gets kicked out of heaven all because of this I, I. And so whenever you find yourself making a lot of I statements, just take a step back and be, be afraid for a second. Be, be aware. When you make too many I, this, I, that, that, when you start leading all those I statements, just beware that you are probably headed down a dangerous path. When you go to the very first people on, on planet Earth, you got Adam and Eve. What was the sin that they had? Basically, disobedience, rebellion. God said, look, you can do anything you want. You're running around naked and you have the entire place. You can do anything. Just don't touch my one tree. I got one tree in the whole earth. And you can't have it. And you know what they said? I want it. And Satan talks to him. It's like, yeah, that's a good one. It'll make you wise, like God. And they like that idea that, oh, well, if I'm like God, maybe I'll be in charge. And so sure enough, they decide to rebel, disobey, against God's authority. And what happens? Sin runs rampant on planet Earth now. Why? Because ultimately you and I all have this nature in us. We're kind of born with it. And it's a nature of disobedience. It's a nature of rebellion. And as long as we decide to live with that kind of disobedience. Now here's what you need to know about authority now. Now here's a scripture again. This is not one of my favorite scriptures. You're not going to like it very much either. But it is in the Bible so we'll read it. Romans chapter 13 says this about authority figures. All right, Verse number 1. It says everyone. Everybody say everyone. In Greek, in Hebrew, in, in, in Farsi, in Tagalog, in every language, that's everyone. You can't do like a, well, in this language. No, it just means everyone. Everyone must submit to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. And the authorities that exist have been established by who? By God. And consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. Like I said, it's not really popular scripture. This isn't on greeting cards or anything like that. It's not. It's not a happy scripture, not a fun scripture. But here's what we find. We find this radical notion, this radical idea that God is the author of authority. I'm the author of rebellion. But God is the author of authority. And that every... Now, here, you want to hear something crazy? Paul is writing this to Rome, right? The book of Romans, right? Do you know who's in charge of Rome right now? There's this guy named Nero. Nero, Galacus, Caesar, something, Augustus. Yeah, he's got five names, but his first one was Nero. Nero is, is, is really the first emperor of Rome that decides, I hate Christians. And he literally, I'm sorry to get graphic, but he literally had a garden. And the way that he would light his garden was with the heads of, of killed, martyred Christians. He would put them on a stake and light their heads on fire. And that's how he lit his garden. This guy was incredibly wicked, incredibly evil. This guy actually burned Rome to the, to the ground. He did it for his own purposes because he wanted to rebuild everything the way he wanted it, kind of in his own image. And he burned the city to the ground, and then uh, basically he blamed the Christians for the ones that caused it and made everybody hate the Christians. And that's what he did. And you know what Paul says about him? All authorities are established by God. What? You mean you put this guy in charge? Yep. The president of the United States. God. 
Russia, Venezuela, Syria, Canada, Mexico. Yep, 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 yep. God is the author of authority. And that doesn't always sit well with me because you know what it does? It begins to reveal my craziness and reveal my rebelliousness. And basically what it shows is this, is that when I don't submit to the earthly authorities, or let me put it this way, the way that I respond to earthly authorities is in essence the way that I respond to God. It's all authority, isn't it? And that's what the Roman centurion soldier was saying, is that I understand authority. I understand how this works. And literally what they knew is, is that authority was all the same. It meant that if this one was saying it, it was the same as Caesar saying it. And when Jesus says it, it's the same as God saying it. And when the earthly authorities that God has established, it's the same thing. When you trace back authority far enough, you find who? God. Because God has instituted those things. And here's, here, I had this one moment where I was, um, again, I was a youth pastor. This was years ago. I was working at a, um, a big church in San Jose, and, and it was like the Wednesday night midweek service. And, you know, I don't, I'm not required to be in that service, but I was there, and I was going to go in, but I was a little bit late. And I just gone to Starbucks, got myself a little grande caramel latte with whipped cream, and, and, and rolled in the service, and I was a little bit late. Now, here's the deal. There's a rule in that sanctuary that you cannot have uh, coffee or drinks in that sanctuary. Aren't you glad we don't, uh, we don't care about that rule? Uh, we, didn't, we don't establish that rule. You are A-OK right now drinking your apple cider. So, so here's the deal, though. So I'm like, this is brand new. I don't, I don't want to throw this out. He, you know, here's what I'll do. I'll just go sit up in the balcony. That way nobody else sees me. And, you know, because I work here. I mean, I'm a pastor on staff. I run a very large department. I'm very well known. I mean, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna slip in. And you know what? You're not supposed to be in the balcony either if the balcony's closed off. But I didn't, didn't really. I thought, see, I thought I was above the rules. I thought those rules didn't apply to me because I'm, yeah, I'm Pastor Todd. I mean, I, do you know who I am? And so, sure enough, I roll up into the balcony with my grande caramel latte with whip, and I'm sitting there enjoying service. And the head usher walks up there, and I think he's just coming up to say hi. What's up, PT? Pound it and go back to your job. He's not. No, no, he's not. He decides to lovingly, respectfully inform me, hey, pastor, hey, just so you know, we're really not supposed to have drinks in here. And we kind of got the balcony closed. Could you do me a favor and go ahead and head back down to where? (laughs) Yeah, 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 I, I can do that. I'm so angry on the inside. I'm so like mad. And I, it's, it's one of those glaring moments that dawns on me like, wow. And you got some authority issues. Because in all reality, the head usher has been given what? Authority over taking care of that facility and putting people in the right places. And that's his realm of authority. And that authority came from his pastor who's on staff, who works underneath Pastor So-and-so, who works underneath Pastor Dick, who works underneath the board, who works under God. So yes, God, I will throw my grande caramel latte away with whip, and I'll go sit where I'm supposed to. But in my heart, what's become evident is that I have authority issues. And here's the problem. Here's what you need to know about this idea, because it operates in two realms. I'm going to give you the second one in just a second. The first one is ultimately this, and if I can put it in words, is this. You have to be under authority so that God can be in authority over your situation. 
You have to be under God's authority. Because here's the deal. When we keep saying, I want to, and I deserve, and I'm going to, and I don't care what they said, and I don't need to obey by those rules, what we do is we keep pushing ourselves outside of the covering and protection and provision of God. And we keep saying, I got this. Now, when I need you, I'll call on you. But everything else, I got this. And it doesn't work that way. What we need to do is be under authority. The authorities that, now I'm not saying when it comes to like sin, if an authority figure asks you to sin, that's your only out. But other than that, you need to be underneath authority so that you recognize, hey God, I'm right in line with your kingdom. I'm right where you want me to be. I'm going to be obedient because I recognize like that centurion soldier who, listen, only two people in the Bible ever amazed Jesus and this was one of them. He said, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And they're supposed to be faith-filled people. Not in all of Israel have I caught anybody that has quite your level of faith. And it's attached to your level and your understanding of what? Does that make sense to you? Because it didn't to me. I thought, no, I just need to pray and fast and believe and do other. But authority? Come on. And it's all related because it's related to the condition of our heart. And when we get underneath authority, we get underneath the presence and provision of God, and we get right in line with the sweet spot of life, and then we are in a position for God to do miracles. Never thought of it like that before. I'm sure that I like this principle. I wonder if I can just do principles four, five, and six and skip this one or, you know. And I bypass this one, God. No, it's there. And I'm telling you, when you need a miracle, check the condition of your heart and check the rebellious nature of your heart. And am I underneath the authorities that God has established? Because I'm going to give you a big, huge secret here. If you will get underneath the authorities that God has established in your life, you will have a much, much, much lesser need for miracles in your life. Because you'll bypass the craziness and bypass the sin and bypass the stupidity and bypass some of the messes that we get ourselves into. Why? Because we're already underneath the covering and protection of God. These needing of miracles becomes, uh, you know, much more rare in terms of how often we need them. Can I get an amen out there? Because I mean, I just, I felt like I was preaching myself for a minute there. Okay, that was, that was level one. I'm gonna give you level two now. Are you ready? Now, I'm gonna, now, here's the deal with this series on miracles. If you notice, normally when I preach and teach, I hit one narrative and we stay right there. The reason why I don't do that in this series is because I'm not trying to prove this lone idea. I'm trying to show you that there is a pattern here. And so whenever there's a pattern, I show you multiple examples. I'm gonna give you a contrasting example of this same exact idea. Are you ready? Let's go. Mark four, different story, different miracle. Same principle. Let's read it together. The Bible says on that day, that when evening came, that he, Jesus, and his disciples, he said, let's go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. And then a furious squall came up. This is a huge storm on the Sea of Galilee that was notorious to come up quick, fast, hard, killed people, uh, shipwrecked boats. It was really, really nasty. So this large, furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, though, sleeping. Now, I'm going to tell you something real quick. The people that sleep, what does that tell you about them? They're just not afraid. They're not worried. It's not bothering them. They're not stressed. They're sleeping. Maybe they know something you don't know. Maybe they're just really heavy sleepers, though. That could be it, too. So the disciples woke him up and said, Jesus, don't you care? Which is many times, many times what we pray, isn't it, in our tragedy hits? Don't you care? When we see horrific evil, when we see things happen in the world, we immediately ask the question, don't you care? 
And the answer is yes. He says, don't you care if we drown? So he got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves. Crazy, he speaks to waves. Quiet. Be, I wish he'd speak to my daughter. Quiet, be still. <laughs> and then the wind died down. And it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, two huge questions. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified. They asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves do what? So are wind and waves underneath Jesus' authority? Are demons under his authority? Sickness underneath his authority? Everything you need, is that under his authority? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, Jesus asked this, well, why were you afraid? Uh, duh, did you not see? Did you not see that huge storm all around us? I have very good reason to be afraid, Jesus. And he says, do you still have no faith? In essence, what he's saying is this, is do you still not recognize that I'm in control of the situation? Do you still not recognize that I'm the authority over all these? Did you really think we were all going to go down and die today? As if, as if somehow something could take my life? Isn't that what he said to Pilate? He said, Pilate, you can't take my life. I could call on a, a legion of angels to be here in a moment's notice. You, you can't take my life. I lay it down. Why? Because I'm, I'm in charge here. I know you think you're in charge, but really you don't know that I'm actually in charge. And see, Peter and James, you see the storm going around, and I know you're out of control. I know you're, I know you're terrified, but I haven't lost you. See, here's what we all do. When we get the tragic news, when the doctor calls and we get that weird report, some name disease we never heard of, when the wife or husband says they're leaving, when we find out our kid's in jail, when we find out we lost our job, whenever the news hits, we're afraid. And you know what? We have every reason to be afraid when we just look at our circumstances. And then Jesus said, why are you afraid? Have you still got no faith? Do you still not recognize this huge principle that just because you've lost control has nothing to do with the fact that I am still in control? And sometimes that's our biggest problem, one of our biggest issues. And here you see the contrast between the centurion soldier and the disciples. The disciples are the squirrel in traffic. They are in absolute panic. Don't you care? We're going to die. The centurion's steady and cool and calm. He says, I don't even need you to show up. That's how fully uh, persuaded I am that you're a man of authority and you are in absolute charge. You don't even got to show up. You can just say it from here and it will be done because you are a man who is under authority, your heavenly father, and you are a man who is in absolute authority over everything, wind, waves, sickness, whatever it is. You're in absolute control. But that's where our faith leaves us is when we get the tragic news and the crisis hits, all of a sudden we just we lose our minds and we lose our faith many times. And here's, I think, the whole parallel. If you look at the disciples moving forward, what Jesus knew is this, is that the disciples would eventually run into more tragedy, would run into more pain, would run into more evil. What you need to remember about the disciples is that out of the 12 disciples, one commits suicide and one lives to, to the day he dies, but the rest of them were brutally murdered because of Jesus. Jesus. And he's like, okay, teaching moment, teaching lesson, object lesson. Here's what you need to know. Peter, James, John, Thomas, Bart, all you guys, what you need to know is this, is that in your future, life is going to be absolutely out of control. But I need you to recognize and know today that just because you're not in control, it doesn't mean that I'm not in control. 
And sometimes it's not going to work out the way that you think it is. And sometimes it is going to be really, really hard. And guess what? There were other storms that came up on the Sea of Galilee in future moments, in future days, in future times. And some people did die. And some people's ship did go down. But that had nothing to do with the fact that God had somehow lost control. That God had somehow no longer in authority. God was always in authority. And that's why we trust, even when it doesn't make sense, and even when we can't explain it, and even when we think he should have, and why didn't he? And even when we are afraid, we have to recognize that God is still seated on the throne. He has not lost control. That he has a plan. And we'll probably never be able to fully make sense of that. And we might even be mad at his plan sometimes. But if we will continue to trust, if we'll continue to submit underneath his authority and trust, God is still in charge. He's still in control. And he still cares. When bad things happen, God still gets upset. God still, the Bible gives him all these human attributes when you listen to him spoken about in the Old Testament. You know, even Jesus, when his friend died, he cries. Do you think God doesn't care? Of course he cares. Do you think God's lost control? No, he's still in control. That's the only thing I can trust in. He's still in charge. He's still in control. He's still the authority of my life. And he absolutely does care. Everything else I have to leave into his hands. Because sometimes the miracle will come and something extraordinary will happen, but sometimes it might not. And even in the times that it doesn't, I got to be okay with that. This is the contrast. This is the, the difference between a centurion soldier who's really doesn't even have a real covenant with God. He's on the outside looking in. <laughs> And some disciples who were born Jewish, born into a covenant with God, supposed to be full of faith, and yet you see the differences. In one sense, he's saying, why are you so afraid? Why do you have no faith? To another guy, he says, I haven't seen faith like, well, certainly not in those guys, but I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And it's because you have an understanding that there is nothing outside of my realm of authority. Last scripture, and we'll close. The Bible says this, Matthew chapter 28, verse number 18 the Bible says that Jesus came to them. This is after his death, burial, and resurrection. And he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. I'll leave it at that. Just go. Go and do what I've called you to do. Go walk in the plans and purposes of God. Just go. But know this, that when you go in life, you go with the absolute reassurance that all authority, it's the Greek word exousia. Everybody say exousia. This is a term very, very much like the way we would use the, the word authority because the word authority has a, brass, uh, I mean, a broad range, doesn't it? Like you can be an authority figure in a legal sense. You can be an authority figure in a certain sense of like a knowledge. There was an authority that they thought of in, in like, man, he's the master. He's a black belt. He is on top of his game. You know, we, we think of it in terms of like that. And he says, I want you to know that all of that is underneath me. It's all been given to me. And you will live, and I want you to live the rest of your life knowing full well that you don't have to be afraid, that you don't have to be full of doubt, but you can walk through this life saying, when it goes great, I know it's God, and when it doesn't go great, I know God is still in control and God still sits on the throne because all authority, all the exousia in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And I will live my life, and that's how you live by faith. That's why this understanding of authority means I recognize that the earthly authorities in life are established by God. I'm gonna get underneath those. And even the elements of life that don't make any sense, sometimes death, sometimes sickness, sometimes wind and waves, anything that brings us a, a cause for concern and fear, all that, that's underneath him too. And when I get underneath his authority, 
He becomes the authority over all my situations. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray, Lord God, that you would continue to deal with and challenge and root out the rebelliousness that's in me. I need some amens out there on that one. I, God, I want you to dig it up. I want you to purge it. I want you to, God, cleanse me. God, help me to be fully aware when I'm getting rebellious. Help me to be fully aware when I'm bucking authority, God. I want to be underneath your authority. I want to be underneath your care, underneath your provision and your protection, God. So help me to be an obedient person, God. When it comes to simple things like the, the, the seatbelt law or the cell phone law or my taxes or, God, just the, the basic laws of the land, God, help me to be underneath your authority. Help me to not be rebellious about every little thing, God. I want to be submitted to your plan and purpose. And when I submit to your earthly authorities, I recognize I'm submitting to you. God, help me to do that. But God, also in life, when, when tragedy hits or when pain hits or when weird things come up, God, help me to remember that even all those things, God, they're underneath your authority. That God, you're the master. You are absolutely in charge of those situations, God. And the greater that I understand that, the greater my faith becomes. The greater my faith becomes, the greater access I have to miracles working in my life. God, let us be a people of faith. God, let this church represent people that walk out of this place, and, and place, God, and they are as cool as the other side of the pillow, God. They walk cool, calm, collected in fully assured ways, God, that you are in control. They are fully persuaded that you are in charge of their situation, and they're good with whatever outcomes happen, Lord God, because we trust you. God, help us to be those people. Can you imagine what your homes might look like what your families might look like, what your own heart and mind, your own peace of mind might look like if we walk with that level of faith. Fully persuaded. No matter what the outcome, God, you're in control and I am not rattled at all. Father, help us to be the people of faith. God, I pray that we all have a moment in our life where we kind of shock you and kind of amaze you like that centurion soldier did. God, that is my prayer today. In Jesus' name, if you believe that, shout amen. 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 Give the Lord a big hand clap this morning, would you?